Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to our partial Perspectives for today. As always, tremendous gratitude to our generous series sponsors for the year, Becky and Avi Katz and family, in memory of David Grossman, Le'ilu Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Manish. I want to remind you, if you'd like to sponsor an individual sheer of partial Perspectives in honor and memory, then uh, you could do so easily on our show website, brsonline.org slash sponsor. Also, if you've not yet joined our one-on-one campaign, you are missing out on phenomenal one-minute divrei Torah every day. Dollar a day of tzedakah, minute a day of learning, all in the merit of Esther Tila Basari Al-Tzipora, Esti Maskowitz, and all those who are ill. And lastly, we've started a weekly uh, write-up of the Parsha Perspective Shear. Beautiful write-up of three points of the Shear, one to be shared at each meal over Shabbos. We're looking for people to sponsor that each week as well. Someone's writing it up for me, and there is a cost to doing so. Not looking to make any money, simply cover our cost. You can do that, and you can sign up for the newsletter to be able to get that write up conveniently in your inbox, and to be able to print it out and bring it to your Shabbos table. You can uh, get that email by taking out your phone. All you have to do is text the number 22828. 22828. If you text that number, you will sign up for the newsletter with the Parsha Perspective Notes. We have the privilege of reading and learning Parshas Balak, page 856 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. And I want to start even before we get into the Parsha itself. I mentioned to you, I recently got a fantastic Sefer, Otser Plos Torah, which is a collection of wonders of the Torah. And indeed, it lives up to its name. The uh, person who published this did a phenomenal job collecting really obscure, fascinating sources based on the Parsha. And here in our Parsha, Balak begins with the following. The name of the Parsha, before we even get into the Parsha, let's not even get past the name. The name of the Parsha is Balak. Is Balak a good guy or bad guy, a hero or a villain? Okay, good. You're all... If you didn't know the answer to that question, I would be very concerned. Balak's a bad guy. He's a villain of Jewish history. He tried to destroy the Jewish people. He failed when he recruited Bilam. And he continued and was more successful when he understood how to uh, get to the Jewish people, the end of our parasha, the beginning of next week's parasha. He's a terrible villain. So how could it be that we have a parasha that's named for him? After all, the Pasuk says in Mishlei, V'shem Yersham Yerkov and the Chachamim Chazal and Mesechus Yumadav Laman Ches tell us that one should not use the name of a Russia. We don't even engage. We have the habit of saying, Yemach Shemo, may his name be erased. May the name be eradicated. We don't use that name. In fact, he has another section where he wonders that we have a Rishon. A Rishon is quoted by several whose name was Bilam, the Reben Bilam. How could it be someone was named after Bilam? But here we go back to how could it be that our Parsha is named for Balak? Balak's a Russia. Rashi writes there in Yuma, Le'yikra Adam no shame Adam Russia. Don't name your children after a wicked person. Don't even engage the name. Don't use the name of a wicked person. So how could, how could our Parsha be named for a villain, for a wicked person? Now, many asked this. One of them is Rav Avram Shapira, the author of the Birchas Avram, and he writes the following. In all the 53 Parshas of the Torah, does anyone know how many are named after people? 53 parshas, how many are named for people? Correct? The answer is five. Namely, Noah, Yisro, Korach, Balak, and Pinchas. Four of them is a great kavod. Noah, Yisro, uh, Pinchas, Bala, uh, Korach, maybe did, B'nai Korach did Shuva. But Balak's a Russia. Russia, Russia, Lahachri, Shem Yisro, Ubikesh, Lakor, Sakol, Kosha, Madua, Zacha, Lahod vahadar azesh tikra parsha shleimah shavatora shmo. Chayi Sara. Chayi Sara. Oh, good point. Great. Good question. It's Chayi Sara. It's not named Sara. It's Chayi Sara. Okay. Good. Good. I guess you got you thinking over there. So, um, so how could it be named for Balak, who is a Russia? Very interesting question. So the Birchas of Ram answers based on the parsha itself. Parsha itself tells us that. Balak does offer korbanos before engaging Hashem, before praying, prophecy, even an attempt to curse, sacrifices are offered. And in the merit of the fact that sacrifices were offered, there is an acknowledgement of the presence of the Almighty, 
a submission to him, at least in the form of sacrifices. In that merit, Rashi already quotes the Chazal, that in the merit of the 42 sacrifices, Balak, the king of Moab, Moab offered, who was Yatsa Mimenu? We have somebody from Moab, very prominent woman, who's the progenitor of Mashiach. Yatsa Mimenu Rus, she Yatsa Mimenu Shlomo, Shalom Namar, Elif Olos Yala Shlomo. So, if in the merit of those karbanos, he in fact became the progenitor of none other than Rus and all those who descend from her. So certainly having a Parsha name for him is less than the distinction and the merit of being the mother, of being the father rather of Rus and all who descend from her. That's his answer. That's his answer. Rav Meir Pramishlan, a great Rebbe has a different answer and his divrei Meir. He says it as if a joke. We know halacha biyadua, we have a tradition that Esau sonas Yaakov. Anti-Semitism is built into the fabric, it's existed since the beginning of the Jewish people. It is the world's oldest form of hatred. Halacha biyadua, Chazal say it, that it's a halacha biyadua, it is built into the fabric, the rules of history. Balak ba kayem halacha zubatachas hashlemus. So Rameer Pramishlan says, Balak is what's called an Erlacha Goy. He followed his halacha. And what was his halacha? Ace of Sone is Yaakov. Since he was an Erlacha Goy, we have to do our part. He did his part. We follow our halacha. He followed his halacha. The parish is named after him. Derech Tzchos. It's a, yeah, he means it humorously. He doesn't mean it uh, seriously. But humorously, he at least says, Halacha biyadua. He followed his halacha as an erlacha guy. This is just an example of, of some of the obscure collections, this beautiful Sefer. He has another. Sefer Achinach points out our parsha. Seder Vayar Balak, Einbo Mitzvah. We have 613 mitzvahs. Some parshas Kedoshim, chock full. And others, like our parsha, Balak has no mitzvah in it. No mitzvah. Not only is Sefer Achinach, the Ramban, Rosad Yigo, and the Monian mitzvahs, those who count and calculate, those who survey Torah in order to extract and find, identify the 613 point out, Parshas Balak, no mitzvah, no mitzvah. Now, anyone know there are other parshios that don't have a mitzvah as well? Which other parshios don't have a mitzvah? Anyone know? Noach, Vayera, Chayesara, Todos, Vayitzev, Vayishev, Miketz, Vayigash, Vayichi. Okay, all those are embraces before the Torah is given. Shmos Vaira Pekudai Bamidbar Hazinu and Vezos Abracha all are narratives with no mitzvah. Now he brings this because he raises the question. The Gemara Kedushan tells us, Dafmem, Gedola Talmud Shemevi Ladei Maisa. The Torah was given for Hora'a. The Chizkuni points out that the whole idea of Torah is Hora'a, is teaching, is lesson, lead to action, to legislate, to regulate our behavior. So what's the significance of a parsha that doesn't have a mitzvah? Aren't the mitzvahs the whole essence? Aren't they central to why the Torah is given, what the Torah is really all about? So what is the goal of a parsha that doesn't have a mitzvah? You could ask this about all those other parshas as well, but he asks it about parshas Balak. And the answer is, there is much to extract from our parsha, even, even though it doesn't have a formal, technical, counted mitzvah. For example, what do we incorporate from our parsha into our daily living, even though it's not formally a mitzvah? Matovu Allah Yaakov, beginning of our davening. Matovu Allah Yaakov. Now it's interesting, he also has in this way wonderful sefer, Otsir Plosa Torah, that not everybody did, not everybody incorporated it into their davening. The Maharshal, Roshlom Aluria, began, Matovu Allah Yaakov, Yisrael. He refused Matovu. He didn't begin his davening with Matovu. He would not incorporate the words of a, the words of a Russia. Very interesting. Although the students of the Marshal clearly do. But we do open up a sitter, a standard sitter, universally, Matovu Alacha Yaakov, Mishkin Asachi Yisrael. Our opening words come not only from a non Jew, but from a very wicked, a very uh, a, a, a non Jew who had a negative intent, who sought the destruction of the, of the Jewish people. So we do incorporate that and many other lessons which is a good segue into our Parsha perspectives for today. What are some of those lessons from our Parsha, even if there's no formal mitzvah, that we do incorporate many other... Look at the size of this Sefer. See the thickness of this? And this is just Bamidbar. 
This is great, fun stuff. If you like this kind of thing, really, really great stuff. So uh, let's get into it. Page 856 in the art scroll, Stone Chumash. Balak, the son of Tzipur, saw all the Jewish people had done to Emori. Sichon, the king of Emori, when the Jewish people asked to pass through his land, said no. Not only did he say no, he refused the request. He was inhospitable. But Vayilachim Israel. He didn't just say no, he went to war with the Jewish people, which turned out to be a really poor decision because the Jewish people wiped the floor with him. We spoke last Shabbos. We didn't continue into Ammon, even though we were on a roll, because Azgvul B'nai Ammon, that boundary, that border was incredibly strong. It was fortified. What gave it its strength? Not a military superiority. Zakhtar Ashi last week's Pasha, Ki Azgvul B'nai Ammon, Hasra Oso Baruch God said, don't go in. If God says, don't go in, that is the strongest border or boundary we have. It's a non-negotiable, it's a non-starter. Our attitude towards Hashem's rules, regulations, expectations for us have to not be that they're suggestions and they're not points of negotiation. As gvul, they're boundaries. And I mentioned last Shabbos morning, we're living in a time in a world increasingly blurred boundaries, disintegration, dissolving of boundaries. No boundaries between countries, no boundaries between people, no boundaries of basic biological definitions. We're seeing the end of boundaries. Whereas the Torah tells us, as gavul, as gavul, our boundaries have to be strong and fortified. And what gives them their strength? Kurdish Baruchu. If he says jump, we say how high. If he says this is the truth, then we say that's what we believe. As gavul b'nei Amon. So Sichon, the king of Amori, made this terrible mistake. We spoke at Shalashidus last week. I want to do Balak, Balak, not Chukas, but Shalashidus last week. We learn, Al-Kain, therefore, the Moshlim, who are the Moshlim, the Gemara learns, those who are Moshlim, the Yitzhahara, come, Bo Cheshbon, Cheshbon, not the name of a city, but a person has to make a Cheshbon, to be mindful, to be present, conscientious, conscious in all that we do, make a Cheshbon. Why do we learn that from a wicked, evil Sichon, king of Emori? There was no other Pasuk in the Torah we could have derived the significance, the importance of mindfulness to defeat the Yetzirah from. So he quoted at Shal Shivas last week from the Rashiv of Ger of Shal Alter, who gave a beautiful explanation. So here, we're not the only ones who read Parshas Chukas. We're not the only ones who followed the news that Sichon, the king of Amori, not only rejected our request, but then went to war and was wiped out. You know who else heard the story? You know who else read the headline? You know who else saw the news? Balak ben Sipur. He saw all that had occurred, all that had happened. He saw everything. And the order of the Pasuk is sort of strange. Because continue. Bayar Balak ben Sipur, he saw all that the Jewish people did to Emori. And who is Balak ben Sipur? And Moab became very frightened of the people. Kiravu. What should it say grammatically? Not Ravu, it should say Kirabim Haim. They were afraid of us because we in the plural were great. Kiravu means he's a Rav. <laughs> he's a rabbi. What do you mean Kiravu? Kirabim Haim. Eilig Yismach Moshe points out that this was already foreboding, foreshadowing the Achtas, the unity of Klal Yisrael. When are we least vulnerable and fragile? When are we at our greatest strength? When are we not susceptible to the attack of a Balak and a Bilam? Kiravhu, when we're unified, when we are united, when we are together. Kiravhu. Vayakats Moav Yisrael. And Moav, Moav was uh, disgusted in the face of the Jewish people. They woke up, they were disgusted, they were ready to confront. Vayomer Moav El Midyan, and so on. And then, the end of Pasuk Dalid, Ubalak ben Sipur, Melach lemoav ba'isahi. Balak ben Sipur was the king of Moab in that time. Now you may never have noticed this. You might have read this parsha many, many times in your life. Does that seem like it's in order to you? Does that make sense to you? Balak is about to be identified. What is his CV or resume? I don't know who his shadchan was and whether they included a picture or not. But what does it say on his resume? He's Melach Moab. Balak ben Sipur is Belach Limoav. For references, call Bilam. For references, call every other wicked person of the time. 
So he's the king of Moab. Shouldn't that be at the very beginning of the introduction? Vayar Balak ben Sipor, Melech Moab, all that had happened. First we see Balak saw what happened and the people were very frightened and they confronted, they were agitated, they were disgusted. So Moab said to Ziknei Midian, we have to go protect ourselves. Oh, by the way, oh, by the way, the Balak that we mentioned, three psukim ago at the beginning, oh, by the way, he's the king of Moab. The people that I was just telling you were very frightened, very disjointed, very out of order. What's going on? Says the altar of Kelm, Simcha Zisl Ziv, that the answer is in the Pasuk itself. Why was Balak chosen? How did he become king? Because he had the power of sight. He had vision. He saw. But why was that an impressive quality? The fact that he followed the news? The fact that he followed what happened? The fact that he saw that the Jewish people defeated Amori? Everybody saw that. How much seichel do you need to read the news? The answer is today a lot. To filter out the fake news from the real news, to know which news to turn to. You need a lot. You need a lot. Some of the news that gets delivered in print and otherwise is It's disgusting and repulsive and should be used uh, to wrap the fish. I'll put it kindly. So you need a little bit. But wonders, wonders the altar of Kelm Vayar Balak, Balak saw, oh, I saw, wow. He reacted, he responded, he followed the news. Oh, so smart, so wise, such a sage. Big deal. So the headline. Ella, hagadlas iloha yidiya. Ella lachios as mashmo shal masha roim. Shkeimawa haivdel ben adam lebehema. Shneim ro mesa metzias. Ava hagadlas haadam ilachsho avaliros lo rak asasiba gam esa misuvav. It means not just to see, literally. An animal and a human being can both observe the same thing. But the human being can draw conclusions, can analyze, can understand, can comprehend, can extract lessons, can predict, can anticipate. We see things and observe things all the time. Do we see them as human beings or as animals? Are they mere observations? Are we seeing simply superficially with our eyes? Or do we see in a way which moves us and jolts us? Do we see in a way that we see the depth and the profundity? Do we see in a way that we see the deeper understanding and meaning? Do we see in a way that moves us to take action, to react, to change. Everybody else just saw and they recoiled with fear. Wow. Wow, the Jewish people were mighty and strong. They defeated Amori. Oh boy, we can't touch them. We can't go near them. Balak said, one second. Let's study them. Let's study them. Let's understand them. Who is their leader? Where did he come from? What makes him tick? What is their worthiness? And what did he find when he looked a little closer? What did he find when he analyzed a little more carefully? What did he find when he didn't simply accept what was on the surface, but he looked beneath the surface at the roots? Where was Moshe from? Where was Moshe raised, so to say? Not the palace, but Midian. He said, wow, if the Jewish people's secret sauce, if the Jewish people's leader comes from Midian, if he's from Midian, that's where his power derives from. What can offset him? How can I defeat him? Where can I find a loyal adversary for him? Where did Balak go? Midian. And he found Balaam. So that is what he that is what he saw. The Medrash tells us in the words Vayar Balak. The Medrash says, Wicked people, it would have been better if they were blind. They would have been better off if they were blind. Because their eyes are what brings the negativity 
and the destruction and the evil to this world. Shnemar vayar balak, vayar cham. So, what does that mean? That's not what brings the negativity. Where does their wickedness stem from? Their heart and their soul, their brain, not their eyes. So, why does the Medrash attribute the destruction and the wickedness of uh, Balak, of Cham, why to their eyes? So, Rav Shach, Zatzal, the Rashiv of Panovich says, it's true, it's true. Our goodness, our virtue, or our wickedness, it comes from our heart, comes from our soul, comes from our yearning and our longing and our drive and our temptation. But how it manifests and expresses itself, do we build or destroy do we elevate or do we lower? That comes from what we see with our eyes. You think about this war in Ukraine, in Russia, which everyone's forgotten. It lasted a month, a new cycle, even though people continue to be murdered in cold blood every day. But it fell out of the front page. We moved on, except for the people of Ukraine. But you think of that war, which we still should be concerned and focused on. Putin, what was the source of this wicked war? Is it his heart, his brain? Yes, but it's his eyes, his appetite. He saw Ukraine and he wants it. And what does he want next? And the same is true for so many of the challenges that we have. That's what tzitzis come to atone for. The end of Parshishlach, we look at the tzitzis and it should help us be more mindful of what we look at because the heart desires what the eye sees. The eye is the source of the appetite. Our eyes open wide. You have a big, never go shopping when you're hungry. You go to the supermarket when you're hungry, you'll buy all the foods you later wish you hadn't brought into your home. Why? What's the problem? It's your appetite, it's your stomach, but it's your eyes that then see and desire and want. Vayar balak. Vayar, that opening word of our parsha is so pregnant with meaning, vayar, that the beginning of the downfall of so much is what we see, what we choose to look at, what we choose to focus on, is the appetite, the insatiable appetite and drive for that which is not ours. And that was true for Balak. Balak should have seen what happened to Amori and stayed in Moab and done his own business. But instead, Vayar, he saw, and that moved him and that drove him. Pasuk Zion, moving right along. So what does he do? He sent messengers to Bilam ben Baor to go um, appeal to him. Am Yatsam a nation left Egypt, and now they're proliferated, they're covering the land. Go and curse them for me, because they're greater than I. Maybe we can curse them successfully and drive them from the land. You are. Bilam, I know you've got a power. You're from the same land as Moshe. And we have a tradition that Bilam, in fact, was as great a prophet as Moshe. Lest the nations of the world be able to complain. If we had a leader, if we had someone, with that capacity, we would have been the Jewish people too. So Hashem says, okay, let's try it. Here's a Bilaam. But instead of reaching that level, they used it for the opposite. So he tells Bilaam, I know whatever you say, if you give a bracha, there's a bracha. If you curse, there's a curse. The elders of Moab went, and the elders of Midian, and they went with their charm in their hand. And they come to Bilaam, and they deliver the words of Balak. And he says, Sleep here tonight. I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you. And they come and with Bilaam. God now visits Bilaam. We've turned the page. And God says to Bilaam, Where are you going? Who are these people? What's with the entourage? Who are you walking with? Who are these people? Says Rashi. So Rashi comes along and says Rashi, <clears throat> says Rashi, that he came to fool, he came to trick. He came to trick. So how could it be? How could it be? Did Bilaam think he was going to fool God? 
What answer did he give? Balak sent for me. There was a nation that left Egypt. They're covering the land. He wants me to drive them out. So Balak sent for me. So did Bilaam think he was going to pull the wool over God's eyes? What did he think? What did he think? So the altar of Kelm, second altar of Kelm for today. In a letter to his son, he writes, Yesodu, he said the following. He said, if you have a bad heart, an evil heart, a wicked heart, if your heart's not in the right place, no matter how smart, no matter your IQ, no matter your intellect, you're going to have misguided thinking. You're going to have poor judgment. Bilaam made the wrong decisions time after time here. And Bilaam so poorly thought he could trick and fool God the Almighty. And what led Bilaam to all those horrible conclusions and to this ignoble end was not, he was brilliant. How many people have we seen in the world in our lifetime who have incredible brilliance and charisma and genius, but if their heart's in the wrong place, if it's not pure, if it's not purely motivated, then it doesn't matter where the head is, it doesn't matter how good or impressive the head is, if a person has a poor, a corrupt, a misguided heart, that is the that is the downfall. That is the downfall. So Bilam answers God and he says, Balak sent for me. Says Rashi, You know, Bilam is like a, what we call today passive aggressive. He just throws a little zinger in there to God. God says, who are these people? Where are you going? He says, oh, uh, Balak sent for me. I got a job. I got a gig. You know, I make a living by cursing and blessing. He sent some men for me. I got a gig. Oh, and God, I know you don't think much of me, but Balak does. I know that you're not impressed, but Balak is. I know you have no use for me, but I got hired by the king of Moab. Uh. That's what Bilaam tells the Almighty. Rashi, I'm not making this up. Rashi, even though I may not be impressive in your eyes, Balak's pretty impressed with me. Right? This is like a, a husband and wife where there's some tension or friction, a little passive aggressiveness. Okay, you may not come to my shear, but there are plenty others who do. That's hypothetical. So, so uh, again, what in the world is Bilaam thinking? What is Bilaam thinking? He's telling the infinite, almighty, omnipotent God, you may not, you, the creator of the universe, the source of all, you may not be impressed, but that lowly, pathetic, Aisvarf, Basar Vadam, flesh and blood, Balak, he, he's impressed with me. Is God going to be impressed now with that? What is he thinking? What is he thinking? If we didn't see this in the Torah, we wouldn't believe it. Could you imagine a person says to their friend, you may not be so impressed with me, but my cat loves me. <laughs> right? You may not have, have no use for me, but the dog snuggles up with me. At least the dog loves me. What do you think, the friends, oh, oh your dog, oh, your cat's impressed, the cat's impressed with you? Maybe I should take another look. Bilaam's telling God, you may not be impressed with me, but Balak is, as if that's going to change Hashem's mind, the omnipotent, infinite Hashem. Sort of Eliezer Lopian, the Rashiv of Torres Emes in London. He says the following, we see here the hashpa of Midos Rose. Again, this is consistent with the last idea we saw a moment ago. No matter how impressive, no matter how brilliant, no matter how charismatic, no matter what your IQ, no matter what your intellect. If you have a bad heart, if you have poor intent, if you're drawn and you have a drive to the wrong thing, it will confuse and cloud all your judgment. You'll be so misguided, you're so miscalculated. You'll be able to so irrationally view and justify and defend and have such a negative and, and fruitless attitude to all. What a Musar Haskel. When there's a question where we're no gay bedavar, when there's an issue where we have a bias because we have a drive, no matter how smart you think you are, turn to someone else, even if they have a lower IQ, they're less life experience, they're not nearly as smart, because when we are biased, when we're no gay bedavar, we can't think clearly. We will say irrational things. We'll come to irrational conclusions. And then we'll double down in our misguided, poor outlook, poor judgment. 
And that's entirely the story you see here of Bilaam. Bilaam Hashem created as Moshe's equal. He was just as smart, as great a prophet. How could he come to such foolish conclusions? Not in the text itself, but the entire Medrash, the subtext of our entire Parsha, is exposing Bilaam as a fool over and over and over again. But is that not what we've seen from world leaders and great athletes, from brilliant men and women, who you wonder, what, what could they possibly have been telling themselves that led them to act in that way? Didn't they know what they were going to give up? How humiliated they'd become? How they would sabotage their own success? We have to see that no matter how smart or brilliant, the moment that we are connected in Nogea, so easily we can be brought down. So how does, Bil, how does Hashem react? God, the Almighty, the Omnipotent, is telling you directly, you don't have to decipher, there's no code, you don't have to wait for a sign. He's in direct communication and He says to you directly, don't go. This is not the place for you. It's not where you're meant to be. It's not what you're meant to do. This is a blessed people. Don't curse them. It's not going to work out. So he wakes up, go home. I don't have permission to go. They come and they say, Bilam refused to come. Again, the subtext here is, why did Bilam send them home? Not because indeed God said no, but he wanted more covered. You didn't have a big enough parade, not enough fanfare. You didn't send a large enough entourage. You got me business class or first class. I want a private plane. Not good enough. Balak understood. Why did Balak understand? Why did he understand not what Bilaam was saying with his words, but between his words? Why did he understand? Because he was cut from the same cloth. Because if you drive, if you desire the same honor and glory, if you have the same temptation, then you understand the person who's, with whom you have kinship. So he sends more. They come to Bilaam, Balak refused to take no for an answer. There is no expense that's too great. He'll give you the greatest honor in the world. And he said, You can give me everything in the world. I can't go unless God tells me. Whether it's great or small, I can't go. So Bilaam says immediately to Balak's agents, I can't violate the word of Hashem. This parsha, I point this out every year because I experience this when I read it every year. Maybe you similarly. When you read the words itself, you say, Bilaam doesn't seem like such a terrible guy. Right? He keeps, he keeps hesitating here. He keeps invoking Hashem. He keeps saying, I can't do it without his permission, his consent. He keeps making it that it's really all about God. But if you read more finely, if you read with a more critical eye, you'll see again, beneath the surface, that Bilaam is not at all loyal to Hashem. And here's one example. Third altar of Kelm for the day. He says, I can't. What should he have said? I won't. I don't want. If Hashem doesn't want, I don't want. If this is not what's meant for me. If this is not what I'm meant to do. If this is not my mission, I'm not doing it not because I can't. I'm not doing it because I don't want. Because I don't want. In other words, what he realized was, I can't. I want to dunk the basketball, but I can't. I want to go curse. I want all the honor and glory. I want to be escorted on a private plane, but it's going to go down. We won't take off. But it didn't change his rutzon. Bilam is a Russia, not because of what he did, but because of what he wanted to do because of his will, because of his motivation, his desire. He only wanted to go along with God because he thought he had no other choice. But really our mission in life, the goal is not only to make our actions compliant and consistent with what Hashem asks, but it's to make our desires, our wants and our wishes our ambition and our drive should conform to what Hashem wants. It's not that 
You know, I desperately wish I want to live in a country club like a non-Jew, like a non-observant Jew. That's where my heart is. Below Chal, I'm afraid lightning will strike. What could I do? I've got to do the Shabbos Kashrus thing. I've got to pay for the day school thing. Lo chal, I can't not. I'll shame my family. Lightning will strike. I'll have no entrance into the world to come. So really my desire, my drive, my will, my wish, my ambition, really my heart is, I want to live like the rest of the world. I hate this life and this lifestyle. I don't want to below chal. Says the author of Kelm, that's not what it means to be a Yid. To be a Jew, an Erlich, a Jew, is not just to do the right things, but to work to want the right things. To mold and shape our heart and our soul. To make our drive and our ambition conform with what Hashem wants from us. And so you see that here in the subtext. That when Bilam rejects Balak and his agents, he doesn't say, listen, I want what God wants. And if God doesn't want this, I don't want this. Instead he says, lo uchal. We should work to fashion our wants, our ratzon. Make our ratzon. Don't ask God to conform his ratzon to yours. Conform your ratzon to his. What's at the root of the word ratzon? Ratz. What is the ratz? To run. Ratzon, ratz. Because what we're motivated, what we have drive, we run to go do. We run to go do. When you run, what happens? you get there faster. The distance remains the same. From here to there is whatever objective distance. I can walk or I can run. If I run, I get there faster if I walk. When I have rut zone, I'm ruts. The rut zone gets me there faster. When I run after something, I do it with joy and with excitement. When I run after something, I don't even feel as if I'm running because I want to be there already. That's Asay Ratzon, Chabata Ratzon, Chamnei Ratzono. A ratzon should conform. So Bilam says, Lo uchal. I can't. I want to curse. I want to go with you, Balak. The only reason I'm not is lo uchal. It should have been lo rotzeh. I don't want to because I want my ratzon to conform to his. Eventually, he beats Hashem down. He asks over and over till Hashem says, Okay, look, what can I tell you? If this is what you want, Go. Bilam wakes up in the morning. And he saddles his donkey. And he now goes with the Sarei Moav. What do we see from here? He wakes up. The Torah goes out of its way to tell us that he wakes up early in the morning. Should be reminiscent. He's not the first to wake up early to saddle the donkey. He saddles the donkey. You see the power of hatred. Because Bilam is a person of covered. He's a covered seeker. So normally, he doesn't carry his own bags. He doesn't saddle his own donkey. Are you kidding? He doesn't drive himself to the airport. He doesn't check himself in. Are you kidding me? He doesn't put his own things in the overhead. And yet, here he wakes up early in the morning. His servants and his slaves, his stewards, they're all fast asleep. And he's busy packing his luggage, loading the car, driving himself to the airport. Why? Because Because you see, hatred is so powerful. It'll push someone to do things they would never normally do. You think you're the ever the first one to wake up early in the morning because you're running? You're running to go do something? You love to hate? You love to curse? You're so eager to destroy? You think you're the first to wake up early? You think you're the first to wake up early because you're so excited? My mother could tell you the story better. What grade was I in when I was the Shabbos Abba? Nursery school. She likes to tell the story. I was the Shabbos Abba. So, you know, before you go to sleep, you're so excited. It's finally your turn to be the Shabbos Abba. You lay your special clothing. You be the Shabbos Abba. You wear your Shabbos clothing to school the next day. So I woke her up and I said, no, let's go, nursery, I'm ready. I was so excited that Friday morning and she looked at the clock and it was 3 a.m. <laughs> I was all excited. It's gonna be the Shabbos Abba. So I put on my Shabbos clothing and I woke her at 3 a.m. I thought it was time to go, why? So I was excited to be the Shabbos Abba. Bilam was excited to destroy the Jewish people. 
So Hashem says, you're the first one to wake up at three in the morning? Avram was the Shabbos Abba. Avram woke up because Hashem said the Akeda. He ran to go do the Akeda. So I don't understand. You want to invoke Avram's alacrity and zeal. You want to invoke Avram's obedience and compliance. You want to invoke Avram's faithful loyalty, unquestioning. So talk about the fact that Avram woke up to go do the Akedah. What are you talking about? Avram also packed his luggage. Avram also loaded the trunk. Avram also drove himself. Avram went to go do the Akedah. That's the much, much, much more impressive thing. Esther Aaron Leibsteinman, Zetzal, and Zayelas HaShachar. Akedah's Yitzchak is much greater than he loaded the donkey. So when you're going to try to respond to Bilam, you don't tell Bilam you think you're the first one to go try to run to do something. Avram ran to do the most impossible test of all time to offer his son. Instead of that, you say, Avram also ran to do something. You know what he did? He loaded his own donkey. That's impressive. That's impressive. Answers of Steinman. Akedah's Yitzchak was at Sivoy Hashem. The way he woke up and the way he ran to do it, that was extra. Avram's impressiveness was not what was asked of him. Of course, that's super impressive given what was asked, but it was asked explicitly. It's what we're not asked explicitly, but we volunteered to do. That's what's really impressive. So that was Tosefes. The mitzvah would have been perfect. If someone else drove the donkey, if someone else loaded the car, if someone else woke him up, if he slept in a little bit and went to the late minyan before Akedah Yitzchak, Akedah Yitzchak would have been equally as impressive. What Avram's greatness was, was not only listening to Hashem with the Akedah, but the way he did it. The way he did it. Okay, you cleaned for Pesach, but you do it with a smile, with joy, with excitement, or do you do it with a krechts, with a moan, with misery. You could do the right thing, but if you do it in a miserable way, Avram Avinu didn't only do the right thing, he did it the right way. And that's what Hashem is telling Bilam. That my loyal Avram would do the Akedah because I asked? That's a Dover Pashat. Of course Avram did. But not only did he do the Akedah, look at the way he did it. Look at the unquestioning, faithful, with no, with no hesitation with joy, with excitement, waking up early the way that he, the way that he did it. The way that he did it. Rav Yechezkel Levenstein, the Mashkiach, also notes, the Medrash says, he goes, sorry, before we get to this next, Kotzker, I saw a great Kotzker, we'll get to the next Pasuk. Listen to this Kotzker. It was worth you coming today just for this Kotzker. Just for this Kotzker. MSV Muna, collection of the Kotzker's teachings. Rashi says, Ashura. You see the power of hate? It gets people to do things they normally would never do. That he himself saddled his own donkey. Kosh Baruch said, You think you're impressing me? Avram saddled his own donkey. Wonders the Kotzker. What does Hashem have to even feel he has to make a comparison? Why does Hashem have to even invoke Avram and what he did? What's the point? What's the point? Venira Lefarish Hadimyon says the Kotzker, let me explain to you the comparison. What was Bilam's end game? What was his goal? What did he go to set out to do? To destroy the Jewish people. And all that, Akurish Baruchu says, Kvar Kadamach Avram Avihem. Avram was already willing to go destroy the Jewish people. You know, we know the way the story of the Akedah ends. We know that Avram raises his hand, the axe, the sword, the knife, and the Malach says, Stop! Don't do it! And Avram exhales, and Yitzchak exhales, and he puts the knife down, and he sees the the ram, we know the way the story ends, and we exhale. But Avram Avinu didn't in real time. When he woke up that morning to go do the unthinkable, when he woke up that morning to go do the unthinkable, unthinkable. And I think there's an interpretation of the Akedah, this is not our Parsha. I, I alluded to it recently in another context, and I'd like to elaborate on it, figure out the opportunity. But we're living in a time of multiple identities intersectionality, identity, identity crisis. 
identity priorities. We have multiple identities. We have a professional identity, a personal identity, a gender, an orientation, a religion, an ethnicity, a culture. We have all kinds of identity. A parent, a child, spouse. These are all different layers and components of identity. And what Yiddishkeit is asking us ultimately, and the story of the Akedah ultimately is, that the identity as an Eved Hashem has to supersede, has to be the top identity of any other, even of a parent. Now ultimately Hashem doesn't want to put us in that conflict. But Hashem says to Avram Avinu, setting the precedent for all time, that your identity, your core identity, your most central identity, must always be as an Eved Hashem. What it means to have a relationship with me, what it means to be a religious personality, is the other identities, some which will fit neatly and conveniently and comfortably, and others which will be in conflict and tension, you need to sometimes be willing to suppress or push further down the list one identity from another. But coming back to the story. So we know the way it ends, but Avram has to live it in real time. And when Avram wakes up that morning and he thinks he's going to fulfill this most impossible test, that Hashem says, slaughter your son. Does he delay? Does he hesitate? Does he slash his own tire so he's a flat tire? Does he run out of gas intentionally so he can't get there? Does he forget the keys, lose the combination? No, he wakes up and with zeal and alacrity and enthusiasm, he runs to fulfill the will of Hashem, even though the will of Hashem was to destroy all that he had been building. Even though the will of Hashem, as he understood it at the time, was to destroy his continuity for his life and legacy to come to an abrupt end. This Kutzker is an entire reinterpretation of this Rashi. We've all learned this Rashi our whole lives. That's why I said this Kutzker was worth coming for today. We've all learned it our entire life. That namely, what? Bilam, you think you're impressing me? You woke up, your hatred drives you to do what you normally don't do. You woke up early and you packed the car yourself. Avram already did that. And we, oh, it's cute. Avram woke up and packed the car. Bilam woke up and coped the bar. Kutzker says it's much deeper. You woke up with such zeal as an enemy Avram woke up as a loyal, faithful servant towards that same ends. And he, he didn't have any less of the same zeal and enthusiasm. That's what it means to be loyal to me. That's what it means to make your zone conform to mine. That's what it means is to not only go through the motions of the action of what I command, but for you to make your will conform to my will means that Avram, even though it was going to be the same result of what you're trying to do, and he's on the other end of it, he had the same enthusiasm you had because he made his will conform to mine. Is that a Kutzker? What a Kutzker. What a Kutzker. Beautiful. Let's keep going. Bilam wakes up in the morning. He goes with the officers of Moab. God gets very angry. So God sends an angel to stand and block the way. Says the Medrash, who is this Malach? The Malach Shorachamim Haya. Was this a we wicked, evil, negative angel? Medrash says, no. This was a compassionate, and kind, and a loving angel. What made him an angel of compassion and kindness? Why was he blocking the way? Because he was trying to help Bilam. He was trying to get Bilam to pivot, he was trying to get him to redirect, to redirect. Says Rabbi Yechezkel Levenstein, the Mashkiach or Yechezkel, he writes, you see from here Hashem's boundless and endless kindness, generosity, magnanimity. Even Bilam Arasha, Hashem should have given up on him. But even to Bilam Arasha, he sends an angel of Rachamim to give him another chance to reconsider, to read the writing on the wall, to read the room and decide to go about it a different way, to change location, to change location. I said in the one minute, if you subscribe to the one-on-one -on -one campaign, I said yesterday, Sunday, recently, 
Svarna points out in a moment, we'll read that, you know, Bilam hits the donkey and then he sees the angel and he says to the angel, Chatasi, I sinned, I sinned, Chatasi. So the Svarna wonders, Chatasi, what hate did you do? You didn't see the angel. Why does he react and tell the angel, Chatasi, Chatasi? Go to, where is this? When the angel finally appears to Bilam, he turns to the angel and he says, Chatasi, I've sinned. Sorry I didn't see you, I sinned. So the Svarna wonders, where's the sin? He didn't see him. He wasn't visible. He only then became visible. So why was it considered to be a sin? So the Svarna says something remarkable. He says, sometimes we fail to see what's right in front of us because we're not looking, because we're not reading. We're not trying to understand which doors Hashem is opening and which doors He's closing, all for our good. It is a chait. It's a terrible mistake to not read and to not watch, to not look, to not try to understand. People live life. This is really the theme of our Living with Amun on Wednesday mornings. Sometimes the door closes and we wonder, where is Hashem and why Hashem? And only with the benefit of time do we understand that He closed that door for our own, our own good, our well-being. Maybe if we would have gotten that job, maybe if we would have married that person, maybe if we would have been able to buy that house, we don't know how negative that would have been. And when he closed that door, that's the angel, the Malach of Rachamim. What feels like the Satan, what sometimes feels like it's an angel of destruction or an angel of death, it's an angel of negativity, is a Malach of Rachamim. Hashem, I don't know why you're closing this door. Hashem, I don't know why you've made this a dead end, but I know that it's for a good reason. I know that it's out of Rachamim. I know that it's for me. And when we don't see that and understand that, and we don't live that, chatasi, it's a chait. It's a mistake. It's a mistake to not accept and read when a door closes and look for the door that opens. He is the ultimate navigation system. He is the ultimate ways. And He redirects us and reroutes us, and He gets us to where we're meant to be on the best route. It's not always the most direct route, but it's the best route for us. So stop trying to defeat and go around. You'll get stuck in traffic or behind an accident or pulled over by a cop, by a policeman. Listen to how Hashem is speaking to us, through which doors He opens and through which ones He chooses to close. Perch of Beis, Pasuch of Ches. Turn the page. Story continues. Vayiftach Hashem es Piyason. Now this donkey speaks. What did I ever do to you that you're hitting me three times? Right, the donkey sees the angel and stops. It's a very narrow passageway. Bilam's leg is caught. He kicks, hits the donkey. The donkey finally, after the third time, now speaks. The donkey says, what did I ever do to you? By the way, the Sefer, my new favorite Sefer, Otsar Satora, wonders, what language did the donkey speak in? Did the donkey literally speak? The Rambam writes, no. This was a dream. This was a prophecy. We're not meant to understand it literally. Prophetically, Bilaam had an experience, a dream, as if the donkey was speaking. Meaning a message was communicated, transmitted to him. Keilu, it came from the donkey, but the donkey didn't speak. Others write, no, we're meant to understand it quite literally. He spoke. It's one of the miracles of nature, this mouth of the donkey is one of the things that was created during Bena Shmashos, during the six days of creation, during creation itself. So if you understand, he literally spoke. What language? What language did he speak? What language did he speak? What do you think? The Ramah, by the way, in his Sefer Torah Sa'ula, the Ramah, we Paskin like, writes, the donkey spoke literally. So what language did he speak? So the Moshe of Zikain and Balayatosos writes in Sefer Bracious, Achas. We know that before the, uh, the rebellion of the Tower of Bavel, the world universally spoke one language. The punishment for the Migdal Bavel was the United Nations, the UN. We continue to suffer that punishment till today. 70 languages, 70 cultures, 70 sets of laws, and the miscommunication because of that. So the Moshe of Zikain and the Balayatosa says, based on this, Vayomer Hanachash, when the snake spoke to Chava, 
What language did the same question could be asked, by the way. Did the snake speak literally or figuratively, metaphorically? Same debate. But for those who understand the snake spoke literally, what language? So the Das the Kinabalatosla says Hebrew. Because the Safahas, the singular language the whole world spoke before the disbursement was Lashana Kodesh, Ivrit, Hebrew, Hebrew. That was the punishment of the Nachash. Had to go to Ivrit class the rest of his life. <laughs> just joking to every, every teacher I ever had. Just joking, just joking. So he spoke Hebrew. So based on that, he says in the Sefer that there are those who say, when was this Ason, when was this donkey created? We just mentioned. Benashmashos of creation. Erev Shabbos, Benashmashos of creation. So before Migdal Bavel. So if that's when he was created, before the story of Migdal Bavel, what language did he speak to Bilam in? Hebrew. That's the Dasikin and Balatosos. The donkey spoke Hebrew. Hebrew. Literally the Pasuk we have. Why do you keep hitting me three times? He spoke Hebrew. Rabbi and Ibshitz and his Teferis Yahonasan disagrees. And he says, he spoke the colloquial language. He spoke whatever was the vernacular of the time. Whatever language he spoke in Midian. Midianese. That's what he spoke because that's what Bilam spoke. And that was the familiar language of the time. He has evidence to that. He has a whole essay about this. That's what I told you. These kinds of obscure questions you'd never ask or you'd never think anyone wrote about. Things like, what language did the donkey speak? He writes about. Very, very interesting. That's what he wrote about. It's interesting. I've pointed out before that there's a, I find a tremendous irony. The rationalists who always take the Torah quite literally and who are offended by drush and medrash and drushes of rabbis, and they say you have to stick with the pshuto shamikra, stick with the literal translation, they all jump to say, of course this donkey didn't speak. It's just metaphoric. And the people who always are darshaning and drush and medrash and they're darshaning up the whole Torah, when it comes to this pasuk, you have to take it literally. It says he spoke, of course he spoke. It's a fantastic irony when it comes to this pasuk. So Sforno points out, God opened the mouth of the donkey. He gave the power to speak just like, just like, what would you finish the sentence? Just like the snake spoke, just like some other wicked person spoke. How does this Sforno finish? Hashem gave this, the donkey the power to speak just like, Hashem Svasai Tiftach. Just like the beginning of the Amidah. Kime Hashem Mana Lashon Gam Lebilti Muchan. Hashem gives you the power to speak even when you're not ready to speak. Strange. Strange ends of the sentence, right? Says Rav Yerucham Levavitz. Says Rav Yerucham. You know what you see from here? Sometimes you take your three steps forward to Davin. We're about to hit the Amidah and Siddur snippets. If you've not yet joined Siddur Snippets, now is the perfect time. You can have a more meaningful davening the rest of your life for six minutes a day. Six minutes a day, Siddur Snippets delivered right to your WhatsApp, or you can listen on any podcast player. Six minutes a day, we're up to Micha Mocha, we're about to hit the Amida. And there's a lot to say on Hashem Svasai Tiftach. I love Hashem Svasai Tiftach. There's a lot to say, the introduction to the Amida. So this Rav Yerucham, I'm giving you a little spice. I'm giving you a little bit... Uh, a taste of Siddur snippets. Rav Yerucham says, sometimes you take the three steps forward and you say, Hashem, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I can't concentrate, I have nothing to say. Or I've been so rebellious, I've been so distanced, I've been so absentee, I have not followed what you wanted, I, I don't even know where to start, I don't know what to say. Or Hashem, I'm so angry at you, I'm so upset at what you've done to me or people I love, I can't speak to you. Sometimes you find yourself with that sitter in your hands, you've taken those three steps forward, but you're at a loss for words. But don't worry, keep going. Because just like Hashem put the words in the mouth of the donkey, He'll put the words in your mouth too. Not in a disparaging negative way that you're just a lowly donkey, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu has the ability and power to put the words in the mouth of those who feel they have nothing to say. A donkey doesn't speak, a donkey can't speak. And even when we feel I can't speak, I have nothing to say, Kodesh Baruch will put the words in our mouth. Not only in our conversation with Him, there's someone you have to have a difficult conversation with, you have to confront, you have to deliver news to, and you don't know what you're going to say. 
Hashem is fasai tiftach. Kadosh Baruch will put the words, he'll move our lips. He'll give us the words, he'll move our lips. Rav Yerucham says, you see from this far now, that even in the moment that we feel like a donkey, unable, incapable of speaking, have faith, keep going, because Hashem will put those words in our mouth. Oy, give me a couple more minutes. I got a few fantastic things left to say. I've got many, many things that we're not going to say, but a few fantastic things left to say. Left to say. The um, Kotzker, also, Rashi says, Why shalash regalim? The donkey speaks, finally he speaks, and what does the donkey say? No? What'd you hit me three times for? And Rashi says, on shalash regalim, what does Rashi say? Remezlo, lakor you're trying to destroy a nation who's going to observe the Shalash Regalim. That's what the donkey was alluding to. Why'd you hit me three times? Three Regalim means three times. But using that language of Regalim means, why are you hitting me? Why are you trying to go destroy the nation who will observe the three Regalim? Why'd the donkey engage, employ that mitzvah? Why not? Why are you going to destroy the people who are going to keep Shabbos? We're going to keep kosher. Come up with some other mitzvah. Why specifically the mitzvah of Shalash Regalim? Says the Kutzker, you know why? What bracha do we make? What is the Kiddush and what is the Shemona Esrei of the Shalash Regalim? Baruch HaTashem, Mekadesh, Yisrael v'azmanim. She Yisrael mekadshem azmanim. She Yisrael hema l'maylam in azmanim. Ve'ech atayachol lishlot b'hem sheim l'maylam in azman. V'yata tachas azman. Shalash Regalim. Who determines the calendar? Who decides when the holidays fall to the Jewish people? Because we are Lamalam and Azman. We are above time. The donkey was saying, this nation that you're going to curse, they're above time. They're above mazel. And you think that you, you mere mortal. And who knew the mortality of, the, of, of Bilam better than the donkey? Because let's just say they had a very intimate relationship. So the donkey is telling Bilam, you lowlife who has this intimate relationship with me, a donkey, you think you're going to take on a people who are Lamailam and Azman, who are Mekadish Yisrael Vazmanim? Are you out of your mind? Turn around. Turn away. It's not happening. It can't happen. It can't happen. The Megid Yosef, I'll end with the Megid Yosef of Suratskin. Quotes the Zohar. About this uh, donkey that was created in Erev Shabbos. Bilam says, What happens? Right? The, the donkey says, Well, you hit me. And Bilam says, Well, you're blocking the way. And the donkey says, What have I ever done to you? So, What should the donkey have said? The donkey reacts and says, Ow! What did I ever do to you? What should he have said? Why are you hitting me? There's an angel. I didn't just stop willy-nilly. I didn't stop for no reason. I didn't stop because I'm lazy. I stopped because there's an angel. What are you hitting me? There's an angel. Donkey doesn't say that. What does the donkey say? What did I ever do to you? Have I not served you loyally and faithfully? And says the Megid Yosef, what you see from here, what you learn from here is the power of gratitude. What the donkey was really saying is, Mishuma Karas Atovi Yishmakum Lava Batainis Klape Bilam, Madua Lodanas Ason Lekavschus. I don't have to get into what was blocking me, why it was blocking me, what I couldn't get around. The bottom line is, why didn't you judge me favorably? Why'd you hit me? Why didn't you ask me why I'm not moving? Have I not served you loyally and faithfully all these years? So the first time I break down, you smack me, assuming the worst? Where's your gratitude? Where's your loyalty? Where are you to reciprocate that loyalty? And you see from here a powerful lesson from a donkey. A donkey is teaching this powerful lesson. That when someone's been loyal to us, don't jump to the wrong conclusion. What should gratitude cause us to do? Judge favorably. Gratitude should make us seek to understand, to ask questions, to judge favorably, to not jump to conclusions. That's what the donkey was giving Musser. Didn't answer, there's an angel blocking. Answered, hey, don't I deserve to be judged favorably? Aren't you grateful? Haven't I always served you? Haven't I always served you faithfully? Haven't I served you faithfully? Oy. We didn't even get into what Bilam said when he tried to curse and he turned it into a bracha. How was it a bracha?
I'll leave you with a question, a question of the Kutzker. One more Kutzker, I'll leave you with the question, I won't tell you the answer. Erenu Velo'ata, one of the brachas that Bilam ends up giving is that he sees the end of time. He sees Mashiach's going to come. He sees the Jewish people's worthiness. He sees, he sees how the book, the movie's going to end. Kutzker wonders, why didn't he convert? Why didn't he join the team, the winning team? Why didn't he become a Fairweather fan? You see who got the best pick in the draft. You see who's lining up the best team on the field. You see who's gone, who's gone, uh, what are the Yankees now? 62, uh, whatever their record is, insane. Jump aboard. Why didn't, when, when Bullock, when Billam sees how it's going to end, jump aboard. Why didn't he convert? Yisro saw what was going on. What did he do? He joined the winning team. Vayishma Yisro, Vayar Balak. What is it about Yisro, Vayishma Yisro, he joined the team. Vayar Balak, Balak didn't join the team, he opposed the team. And Bilam, even though, even though Bilam sees how it's going to end, he doesn't convert. Why not? Why not? Until next time. Tomorrow morning, 10 minutes of Mesir Sasharim, living with Amuna behind the Bima, you know the drill. Sign up for the newsletter, Parsha Perspectives, and one-on-one. Till next time, stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy.